You are listening to 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Stay tuned for the Heartland Labor Forum, radio that talks back to the boss. Welcome to the Heartland Labor Forum, a weekly show of news, information, and commentary by and for the working people of Kansas City. This show is produced by a team of volunteers from a broad range of workplaces and unions. The views expressed on the Heartland Labor Forum are ours and not necessarily those of KKFI or any unions involved. And welcome to the Heartland Labor Forum. I'm Mark Galis, in for Judy Ansel, who's away this week. Tonight's show is being underwritten by Pipefitters Local 533 and the International Association of Firefighters Local 42. For the Pipefitters Local 533, being the best in the industry is earned. Their craftsmanship, brotherhood, training, and job safety all make the difference. Building and buying union creates better wages and living standards for all working families. Find them on the web at local533.com. The Greater Kansas City Firefighters, Local 42 of the International Association of Firefighters, represents 14 bargaining units within the metropolitan area made up of firefighters, paramedics, EMTs, and prosecuting attorneys. Find them on the web at iaff42.org. The Heartland Labor Forum and KKFI thank our underwriters for their generous support. On tonight's show, it's a tribute to music, musicians, and labor. The Kansas City Latin Jazz Orchestra is a tuition-free cultural immersion education and performance nonprofit orchestra. We talk with band leader Pablo Sanueza about the integral relationship between his work as a musician and his passion for social justice. Then, music has long been important to the development of the labor movement. We'll reach into our vast library of labor songs to highlight some tunes you may not have heard before. In the news, a labor rally in Topeka sends hundreds to lobby for reforms union membership increases in the United States, and the Florida GOP wants teens to get full-time jobs while in school. Our feature at the end of the show is Washington Window on Workers with Mark Grunberg. He just watched the UAW endorse Joe Biden. And now, here's the news. This is the news from our side for Thursday, January 25th, 2024. On Wednesday, Kansas labor unions, headed by the Kansas AFL-CIO, held a rally in the state capitol building in Topeka. Hundreds wearing their union swag showed up for a star-studded lineup of speakers. First was Governor Laura Kelly, who talked about the importance of working people to the state and then listed her accomplishments for them. Kelly said that her administration had generated over $18.2 billion in investment from new business. She touted the importance of having skilled workers and initiating new apprenticeship programs in cooperation with unions. The governor said, quote, 
My administration is laser-focused on making Kansas the best place to live, to work, and to raise a family. And the best way to do that is by supporting our workers. She said it was only fair that working Kansans share in the benefits of the work they do. She touted the fact that she restored financial health to the CAPERS retirement system by investing over $1 billion to make up for the withdrawals made under previous administrations to cover budget shortfalls. She also secured pay raises for state employees every year of her administration. She picketed with machinists in Wichita and the UAW Kansas City. She helped make Kansas the 10th state in the country to require railroads to have at least two workers on a train. She got a standing ovation. After Kelly, AFT National President Randy Weingarten spoke. The most important thing I can say is that when workers act together, when workers work together, when we have each other's back, when we fight together, then we, we will raise another middle class. speakers were Kathy Drummond, the new district director for United Steelworkers District 11. She succeeds Emil Ramirez, who became international vice president. Kathy is the first female district director in the USW. Drummond was followed by Brian Bryant, the new international president of the International Association of Machinists. The final speaker was Billy Moffat of the Communications Workers, who's an assistant to the international vice president and hails from Kansas City. After the rally, union members met their state representatives and senators to talk about legislative priorities, including reforming a broken workers' compensation system, eliminating sales tax on purchases of food, winning back prevailing wage laws, funding educational programs including special education, and opposing vouchers and a flat tax, which is regressive, and would force cuts in spending on education. Passing those measures is a high bar to reach, as the Kansas legislature is overwhelmingly Republican. 
On Tuesday, the U.S. Department of Labor released the statistics on union membership and found that it grew by 139,000 in 2023. Union membership in the private sector increased by 191,000 members, with the majority of new membership under the age of 45. In fact, according to the Economic Policy Institute, the unionization rate of workers over 45 declined while it increased for workers under 45. Overall, union density actually declined from 11.3 to 11.2%. That's the percentage of workers represented by union. Still, according to the AFL-CIO, waves of workers across industries and geography are joining unions despite very vicious union-busting campaigns by large corporations. Polling data shows that 71% of Americans support unions at the highest level in nearly 60 years, with 88% of young people showing support for unions. Corporations spend more than $400 million per year on union-busting consultants to stop workers organizing and corporate leaders like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, themselves hoarding billions of dollars have made it their mission in their life to stop their own employees from having a voice at the workplace. And finally, more perfect union reports that a Florida House committee has approved a GOP bill to let bosses schedule 16 and 17 year olds for over eight hours of work on a school night and over 30 hours per week. A teacher, a teacher testified as follows. Hi, uh, my name is Emily Greist, and I'm a teacher with Hillsborough County Public Schools. Uh, in my second period class every day, I have a student who routinely comes in and cannot stay awake. Uh, he's talked to me after class and explained that he's so sorry, uh, but he's been working late and long hours and physically cannot stay awake. His grades are slipping in all of his classes, uh, and he's not able to prioritize his education because of his working hours, which is necessary to help his family. Uh, if this is happening with our current laws, I don't want to imagine the negative impact that this is going to have on him and other students if this bill is passed. I ask that you consider the impact that this will have not only on my student, but uh, my student, sorry, education and future, but the thousands of other students who are in this similar position. A GOP supporter of the bill had this to say. We've been weakening our society uh, since before my time. Uh, you know, I started working at like 13 years old, a full-time job. I wrestled. Uh, I played every sport you can imagine. So the idea that, that they can't afford to, to have these kids do this is, is an anomaly for me in my mind. If there's an issue with inflation, uh, we should address that with, with the federal government, not, not the state of Florida. So I appreciate you running this bill. Uh, you guys continue doing the great work and, and help change your youth, the youth uh, out, out there to have them start working full-time. Thanks. I say the news from our side was read tonight by Mark Galis, Morty Mortensen, and I'm Sean Saving. Well, this is the Heartland Labor Forum. <laughs> Sorry, I just a little uh, commentary there. If you are a regular listener of this program, you probably know that we like highlighting music that is important to the labor and social justice movements. We also like to talk to working people about their job. Tonight, we're doing both. Pablo Sanueza came to Kansas City from Chile in 1996 and has dedicated his musical career to the music of the Latin American experience. In 2018, after two decades as an active musician, band leader, and teaching artist, he co-founded the Kansas City Latin Jazz Orchestra with historian and preservationist Cynthia Ammerman. KCLJO is the first and only tuition-free cultural immersion education and performance nonprofit orchestra in the Midwestern United States that is dedicated to jazz and Latin American music and dance. 
What does it mean to merge music with cultural heritage and social justice? What is it like to be a working musician? Tonight we find out. Senor Sanueza, welcome to the Heartland Labor Forum. Thank you so much, Sean. So most people, when they hear orchestra, think of the symphony or something you watch your kid play in high school band or whatever in the gymnasium. Uh, but there was a time when the jazz orchestra, that was the most popular type of musical group in the country. Right? I mean, this was like, tell us about the Kansas City Latin Jazz Orchestra. What is it? Who's in it? When did it start? What's, the, what's it like? Well, today, Kansas City Latin Jazz Orchestra is an 11-piece ensemble dedicated to preserve and advance Latin jazz, primarily in the region. The Latin Jazz Institute, on the other hand, is the organization that, uh, whose aim is to expand this work at a national and international level. The orchestra is a multi-generational ensemble, mainly centered around Gen Z. That is the majority of the kids. There is a couple of millennials and uh, Gen X, me, yeah. <laughs> directing it, you know? So there is an intergenerational dialogue constantly going on, and, uh, and we are presenting music that by all means is vintage by now. It's acoustic, right. analog, and, and we're working with a generation that is digital native, so for them, they're, get, they're getting what the digital experience cannot provide. Right. And from them, we're learning about how to navigate the digital world and, and also the interests of, gen, of, the, of this generation, the Gen Z. Not to get too much too, too deep into th uh, generation theory, but I think it's a reference that helps us understand right, right, right. Cer certain, certain uh, commonalities and also the differences. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and that the work that we, is centered around bringing up and encouraging, inspiring this uh, multi-generational group of, of, of people to continue pursuing their, their interests in music. In music, yeah. But also uh, to develop class, class awareness, class consciousness. Okay. <laughs> Let's call it class awareness. It's just not just music. You got a bigger, you got bigger aim in mind here. Yeah, and the aim is to, for them to develop class awareness in the sense that music is a very powerful expression, art form, and, and the, the power that it carries can be used to either nurture our communities or deplete them, which has been the case uh, with the music industry. Um, in general, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think the recording industry has the best interest of musicians or communities at hand. No, they're, they're, they're making money. They're Correct. looking for money, right? So, so what we're trying to bring that awareness to our musicians to aim not to look up to this industry that is there really to uh, rip off the arts mm -hmm. and, and, and spit them out when they're no longer use, usable. So what we are encouraging is to look after their their own environment. It's totally not in my interest or for, for, for me to to, to uh, pass on some kind of looking up after the, the the industry and look up after after the the award industry. Right, right, right. I mean, the, well, because yeah, because that industry wants popular music. They want music they can sell and make money. I mean, they're a business. That's what they do for right or wrong that's they want music that's sellable but not all music is actually that popular some things aren't so they're not going to they're not going to their music that loses popularity or doesn't have seems to have a marketable style can get lost yeah and if everybody's chasing only the stuff that's marketable you lose cultural heritage correct mm -hmm. i mean you preserve you're trying to preserve 
styles of music that may not be economically viable in a, from a commercial standpoint any longer. Correct, especially a large ensemble is uh, absolutely unviable commercially yeah. too. You know, <laughs> yeah. so so what we what we, the the way that we make up for the for for the cost of running this organization is through fundraisers. Is and it's through foundations mm-hmm. working with foundations that dedicate their their their, their work to final uh, funding for the arts. Right, and so is the institute. So you have the orchestra, which is the band itself. You said it's eleven piece. You got horns, horn section, yeah. Yeah, percussion section, vocal section, and rhythm section, which is the percussion section is part of the larger rhythm section, which is piano and bass. Okay, so it's it's, a, it's an ensemble composed of sections that so we, you need, we assemble you need, together. And you need a pretty good-sized place to play to yeah. put that many people. Yeah. You can't just exactly. play in one, in one of the tiny bars in town. you got to yeah. have a full stage. And, and yeah, for, yeah, we need yeah. all, exactly. So so the, the for us, this year, 2024, we're already invited to play a Missouri Jazz Festival. We have a steady uh, bi-monthly performance at the Blue Room, and, and, and that's our public, our premier public performance in Kansas City. Okay. The rest is regional traveling, Topeka Arts. We're working with Topeka Arts. And uh, we want to have presence in every corner of the Kansas and Missouri, primarily. Mocan. Right. We want to move in that realm of right. Kansas, Missouri, and go to go, go to every corner and, uh, and work with the organizations that are already in place there to promote cultural arts and the presence in the rural area. Because we know that the Latino presence in the yeah. rural areas is huge. In, yeah. in the Kansas, in the farms. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah. so, so that, that presence, that or organize, unorganized labor there, the potential for, for linking, to link with the Latino community, we know that it's unorganized labor. Most of it's undocumented right. labor too. So it's, right. so it's a very delicate subject. Yeah, so have, yeah. you, have you worked with any unions to sort of do? I mean, so you know, there's the meat packers are out there in Southwest Kansas. There's uh, you know, there's I know there's steel workers working on this on the wind farms and stuff that are being built. Has have there been any any synergy there with like organizing efforts and I'm looking after to do that now that we are finally relocated back to Kansas City. I had a residence in Las Vegas, 2022 and 2023 in San Diego, California, and now 20 and now we're back to to Kansas City in full. Uh, we're still connected to the Southwest and the West Coast and the East Coast, New York City, but our we're fully based in here and here and. The model in which how we work with the orchestra is an apprenticeship model based on the union labor's model. Because I okay. was with I was with Albuquerque IBEW local six one one. Shout yeah. to my brothers there in Albuquerque, and uh, and and that learning on the job model and getting paid while you do so is the model that will inspire the orchestra. Everybody receives a, sal- a salary, and 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 it's also an apprenticeship as well. So that's how. Is in a way we're adapting, or, or I'm adapting my experience with American labor unions to this orchestra. I see. And, okay. And uh, because it's a paid apprenticeship, right? That's, right. that's how the model works. We have it's a paid apprenticeship. Those who graduate become full-time employees of the orchestra, and and those who want to continue, they can fa- they can continue advancing and start organizing with us, such as programming grand writing those are the main areas that need the extra organizing beyond the way beyond the bandstand so yeah let's let's talk about the, the, this sort of a little bit we've talked about the sort of the the ins and outs of running an orchestra it's expensive i mean what 
does it cost to take a band on the road? I mean, I'm, in a, I'm a musician. I'm in a small band, you know, and I know that the, you know, we don't make real money. Like, we all have real full-time jobs to do this. So, but if you want to be a full-time musician in this country right now, I mean, you know, that, how do you do that? Good question. The, I, I think I need to identify the pre-COVID and post-COVID for me. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Pre-COVID, until, until then, I was still working full-time as a musician exclusively, in working basically with minimum wage after after all, and uh, living in a very modest house, driving a beat up car, yep. and that. Uh, but dur- during COVID, I had I had to transition into a, a daytime employment. Uh, so I'm I'm bilingual, so I started doing uh, interpreting and translating, freelance, right. mm-hmm. and with that I began to pay my basic bills. So I haven't let let that go, and then. I move on into doing uh, consulting uh, with Latin American cultural affairs, bilingual cultural affairs. Some some, some planning companies need a, a Hispanic Latino perspective mm-hmm. on certain issues, right? Or or to or or how to address certain issues within the Latino community. So I've been I've been doing that work through because of uh, Cynthia, our executive director, is also a consultant through through her firm. I'll be doing bilingual mm. uh, consulting through the firm. So that was a new area that we div- that we developed during COVID because the whole industry shut down and yeah. everybody went into doing something And is it, is it not come, is it, is it come back to the level before or not? What do you, in, you, in, in your world, in my world, it's not quite. Uh, no, not but, quite either. Not quite, but not quite come back, but it, it has opened uh, up the doors to working in the non-for-profit world more. more. Okay. That, that is, developing, uh, uh, getting familiar with the concepts such as capacity building, which is invest in, in, the, in the members of the orchestra in, in training, traveling, capacitation in, in many ways. Like we are now, our project for, for Kansas City and Missouri for 2024 is to bring the, the, the orchestra to the youth, to the middle, middle schools in the region. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we are, are talking, having conversations with several teachers in the Missouri and Kansas, so that that is going to put the musicians to work as educators outside right. the the venue work, and we no longer play in bars. We all, we do concerts, our own programming. We center our programming around celebrating working class iconic uh, celebrations, mm-hmm. such as May Day. Uh, all, all the iconic celebrations of the of, of, of the of the labor movement, right, and uh, and the and the social justice movement. Um, uh, March eighth, International Women's Day, is a, is a huge celebration. We have women in jazz every year. We we have we feature uh, women artists. Uh, 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 one of them is, is full time in our orchestra, but we also bring uh, a couple of guests for, guests from right. out of town. Um, there is a. It's, it's difficult to 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 bridge the gender gap too in music, as you, as you probably yeah. realize. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and it's something that requires a multi uh, uh, an effort from multiple fronts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know, I, I in my you know, our, we're similar age, and, and, and you know, rock bands were probably 90 percent male, except for me, the female singer. 30 40, 30, 40 years ago, it's been slow to transition. You now see a lot more female uh, yeah. women in, in bands, trans folks in bands. Um, and I, is 
that's in the sort of the punk rock underground music scene. Is it? Is it? What about in in the Latin jazz and the jazz community? Is it how it integrated? Is it still yeah, male dominated? Totally, totally male dominated industry in the Latin jazz. The, the efforts need to come from us, uh, band leaders and people who kind of make decisions that who gets hired or not, and we make an effort to to bridge that gap. But also, it needs to come from our communities. We can we cannot suffice from from the shortcomings of our entire community. If if in our if, if the Latino families are not encouraging the the young women in their families to to pursue the arts, it's very little we can do to suffice for that for that shortcoming. Right. So it's a discussion that we need to bring uh, in our in our in our communities, and needs to start at a, uh, in the middle schools. And and I think that as this initiative 2024 of doing our high school tour, at least to bring up that issue and encourage the the young women to, to, to pursue music. Uh, it, sometimes we need to bring other young women to encourage young women to that's, to bring. Well, that's, so yeah, that, that's yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, that's, that's where, that's where, we, yeah. that's where me as a band leader who can, who can facilitate that, we make that effort. Uh, so it's not me talking about how how we, how, right. women, how more Latino women should be in music. We need Latino women. You see the examples yeah, just yeah, to yeah, lead yeah. the way. Same exactly. Example. Oh yeah, I think and that that's always what it takes. Yeah, you need so, you need the people that, that that inspire others to go continue to do this. And I think help going to schools is a good idea because, as people probably know, school band programs have been decimated over the years. Um, you know, when I, when I was in school, every every little tiny school had a had a full concert band. You know, some of them had, we had, some of them had two pep band. We had a jazz band. In my school of 140 kids in Oskaloosa, we had a jazz band and a full marching band. You know, and that changed the life I, of many. Yeah, youth. that's uh, which why I play music today. Yeah, yeah, it's because yeah. of my band director in high Absolutely. school. Absolutely, and that's most most of musicians trace their roots in jazz in the United States. I mean, it's like yeah. growing up a musician all the way until today is most likely that your your instruction would come from jazz. Teach yeah. from jazz band uh, exactly, and then you're gonna take that knowledge and apply it to to whatever your 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 taste personal taste goes. Yeah, you are listening to Heartland Labor Forum. I'm Sean Saving. With me tonight is Pablo Sanueza, band leader of the Kansas City Latin Jazz Orchestra. We're discussing the intersection of social justice and music. Um, we've kind of discussed. Oh, I see. What do we? I I, I want to talk a little. We talked a lot about a lot of things here. I want to make sure I understand what the institute does. Mm. And what it is you're trying to? What, what is the difference between the orchestra and the institute? Is that is yeah? Good question. Well, the, the first goal of the of the institute is to inspire local youth and young adults to continue developing their artistry in their instruments, but also to develop a critical and a scholarly approach to their craft. In the sense that uh, we are we're workforce in Kansas City. We're part of the workforce. We are part of the service industry in many right. ways. We're, okay. not, we're not part of the entertainment industry. There is no such a thing in Kansas City. We are part of the service industry. We play yeah. most 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 musicians. We with the orchestra now. We are not longer part of the service industry because we're only playing concerts in a sense. We no longer play bars or restaurants. Right. But but that was our environment for for until very recently. Mm-hmm. So. As part of the service industry, it's important to develop that awareness that you're also a worker, as much as the bartenders, bus, bus, the, the buzzers. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's, it's it's important. It's also it's it's almost like taking care 
of children, a stay-home mom. That's that's a, that's work. work. Yeah, and and it's not addressing that. So there are many activities that are so productive, they're so important for the society to function. Yeah. They're not considered labor, and in this case, us being part of the service industry would give a, a, at least that awareness would give us a little bit of of, of leverage when we realize that it's bar owners who are the curators of, of music in Kansas City. Right. And then these are not uh, artists or, or producers or industry people, it's bar owners. And they have too much power to decide over our affairs. So I think that to balance that power, what we, what we want to encourage with the Latin Jazz Institute is for independent musicians to start running their own cooperatives and, and music spaces, even if they're small. A 50, a 50 people listening room suffices. And, right. and because at the end what we're building is like sharecropping. We're, 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 we're raising the crop, we're, you know, we, yeah, grow, we're, we're, grow, we, growing food for somebody. Yeah, we're bringing all the people into the yeah. bar. Yeah. We get a lot, we get the, the bar takes the lion's share of the money because they make a lot of money on alcohol. They get all the alcohol they get, and most the bands, of, they get the get, door, you and get we a few get hundred bucks, and that's it. And then, yeah, and you've brought, and you keep the bar owner in business, and you don't have any control over the, the, the you have very little say in the, in the terms of that agreement. Yeah. You know, also at, providing meaning to that evening because, I mean, yeah, going to have a drink is fun, but when when you have an artist there, then then the whole atmosphere changes. Now, now, now you are uploading content. I mean, you're you're uploading not just content, but programming. I mean, it's like music, music and books in a way reprogram your your brain. It right. gives, it, they change your, your the way you think, and 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 those those are important. Uh, uh, yeah. So I mean, so you you I want before we go, you 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 said. What you want to see change, you would like to see sort of an independent, cooperative, or nonprofit type venue. Yeah. And that's, you know, the DIY punk scene does that with house shows and stuff Correct. a lot. And that's how it's so tiny. It's, it's, it's all underground. Talk about underground. It's really literally underground, literally, uh, <laughs> legally and literally. And, but it's, it, it's you know, it, it pops up like mushrooms and they go away. But we don't have a sustainable. Correct. Um, uh, an institution like that in the city, and we, we it would really be nice to have something like that. I think I think that it's time to run a DIY cooperative that is that is established with a lease, with a permit, you right. know. So so then to 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 secure the longevity. Now venues don't have to last twenty years, right? But if I have a, fa- a successful five year run, we're good. That'd be great. So. Tell us real quick, where can folks find out more information about you guys? We're out of time. For the most, the Kansas City Latin Jazz Orchestra webpage, KansasCityLatinJazzOrchestra.org. Okay. Dot com. Dot com. com. All right. And uh, we'll all link. our programming is there, and we have an exciting 2024. All right. Hey, thanks. That's great. We'll put a link to that on our webpage. Thank you for being on the show, Pablo. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Sean. I'm Sean Saving. This is the Heartland Labor Forum. Coming up after the break, Mark Gellis will take us on a tour of labor music you may not have heard before. Join us for the next episode of Economics for the People this Thursday at 7 p.m. In the month that we celebrate Martin Luther King Day, we discuss how economic justice is crucial for racial justice. Erica Wills explains why stock buybacks are bad for working people. And finally, we speak to Clara Irazabal about how different institutions of profit accumulation have impacted Kansas City and shaped its Latino population. Economics for the People, this Thursday at 7 p.m. 
fans of the Sunday Morning Musical Mashup will want to take note that starting on January 28th, the Mashup will air from 7 to 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Please join me in welcoming a brand new music show, Wilderness Road, hosted by Tunemeister Lou, which will premiere in the 5 to 7 a.m. time slot. Be sure to make 90.1 your go-to spot on your FM dial for these two great shows every Sunday morning. And we're back. You're listening to the Heartland Labor Forum. I'm Mark Galis. In keeping with tonight's theme of music, musicians, and labor, we're digging deep into our music library to bring you some labor and working songs that you might not be familiar with. First up, American singer-songwriter Todd Snyder tells the story of an ex-con who's had it up to here with his new boss. From 2006, here's Looking for a Job.
When I was a child, my family would travel down to western Kentucky, where my parents were born. And there's a backwards old town that's often remembered so many times that my memory is a war. And Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County, down by the Green River, where paradise lay? Well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking. Mr. Peabody's cold train is hauled away. Well, sometimes we travel right down the Green River to the abandoned old prison down by Avery Hill, where the air smell like snakes and we'd shoot with our pistols. But empty pop bottles was all we would kill. And Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County, down by the Green River, where paradise lay. Well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking. Mr. Peabody's cold train is all in the way. They came with the world's largest shovel And they tortured the timber and stripped all the land Well, they dug for their coal till the land was forsaken Then they rode it all down as the progress of man And Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County Down by the Green River where paradise lay well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking. Mr. Peabody's cold train is hauled away. When I die, let my ashes float down the Green River. Let my soul roll on up to the Rochester Dam. I'll be halfway to heaven with paradise waiting. Just five miles away from wherever I am And Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County Down by the Green River, where paradise lay Well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking Mr. Peabody's cold train is hauled away From 1971, that was John Prine with Paradise. Prine's family was from Paradise, Kentucky, where coal mines dated back to the 1820s. In the 1960s, the Tennessee Valley Authority established a coal-fired power plant in the area, which resulted in the closing of the town and the relocation of the remaining inhabitants. It's worth noting the line in the song, When I die, let my ashes float down the Green River. When John Prine died from complications caused by COVID in 2020, Half of his ashes were buried with his parents in Chicago, and the other half were scattered in Kentucky's Green River. In the late 1970s, activist and musician Cy Khan wrote a song about the closing of the Aragon Mill, a text mill in Aragon, Georgia, that was built in the 1890s and was one of the state's largest employers in its heyday. 
This version of the song is performed by the Red Clay Ramblers, a folk and bluegrass group from North Carolina formed in the early 70s. From 1979, here are the Red Clay Ramblers with Aragon Mill. I say what I think that the company 
sticks Yes, I'm a union man When we meet in the local hall I'll be voting with a all With a hell of a shout It's a hell of a shout And the rise of the factories fall Oh, you don't get me I'm part of the union You don't get me I'm part of the union You don't get me I'm part of the union Of the company spies And I don't get fooled By the factory rules Cause I always read between the lines And I always get my way If I strike for higher pay When I show my card To the Scotland Yard And this is what I say Oh, you don't get me I'm part of the union You don't get me I'm part of the union From 1973, that was the Straubs with Part of the Union. The Straubs, S-T-R-A-W-B-S, formed in England in the mid-1960s as the Strawberry Hill Boys. Part of the Union went to number two on the British charts in 1973 and quickly became an unofficial anthem of the trade union movement. Our last song of the night is Up the Union by the Street Dogs, a Boston punk band founded by former Dropkick Murphy singer Mike McColgan in the early 2000s. Up the Union was written in support of the Employee Free Choice Act, or EFCA, federal legislation that was a precursor to the PRO Act. The EFCA would have required union recognition with majority support of the employees, as well as enforcing collective bargaining rights through mediation and binding arbitration. The EFCA was introduced in Congress at least five times between 2007 and 2016, but was never passed. From 2010, here are the street dogs with Up the Union. Quality 
Judy Ansel, we're talking to Mark Runberg in Washington, D.C. with Washington Window on Workers. How are you doing, Mark? Oh, merry-go-round. We just got done with the UAW Legislative Conference today. Okay, and I guess they had a big announcement to make. Did they make it yet? They made it about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They endorsed the Biden for president. No, no great surprise. The rhetoric was fine. They emphasized all economic issues which was interesting because Payne, Sean Payne, the uh, union president, was over two weeks ago, stood in front of the Capitol and called for uh, and called for a ceasefire in the Hamas-Israeli war. And that never came up with uh, either speech. Was Biden there? Biden was there, yes. He okay, did. well, I remember at the time of the strike when the AFL-CIO endorsed Biden, and I think SEIU did too, and the UAW very prominently declined to endorse him at that time because they said they wanted something more from him. Do you have any idea what that was? It was more like they were puzzled by what he was planning. He had just come into office. They didn't know anything about how they were going to conduct the negotiations. They didn't know his team. And they were they were also a little puzzled by some of his at that time undeveloped trade policies, which is, have since been developed to their satisfaction. But things have straightened out, as you saw during the stand-up strike when he went out to the picket line in Michigan with them, the first sitting president ever to do that. Things have gotten have gotten pretty calm. So, Again, do you think that was a big part of why they decided to endorse him? Because 
I imagine a lot of people don't understand the significance of a president going to walk picket. What do you make of it? Let's put it this way. The only other president who's ever walked a picket wasn't president yet. It was Obama. But that was before he became president. Biden is the first and so far the only, obviously. So what is it? Presidents are supposed to be neutral and not take sides in a strike? Yeah, basically, leave it, you know, leave it to the, leave it to the professionals, leave it, leave it to the, you know, if you have to send somebody, send the secretary of labor or send, or send deputy secretary of labor or the acting secretary in this case, Julie Sue, uh-huh. but, uh, go out there and, you know, proclaim I'm with you guys and use their slogan, uh, the record profit, record profit should, should uh, produce record contracts, which he said both in Michigan and today. Biden's great line was Donald Trump is a scab. Donald Trump is a what? Scab. Which raises a question, uh, which is that, you know, it appears that Biden's policies, even though, you know, the labor leaders have called him the most pro-union president in U.S. history, they don't seem to be resonating very much with blue collar America, with the working Mm -hmm. class. There's real fear, I think, that many working class workers, even union members, will vote for Trump, assuming yeah. he's the nominee. Yeah. So so I guess my question is, why should UAW members honor their union's endorsement of Biden? Well, two things are that. Um, first of all, both Payne and Biden went through his record his pro-worker record in detail. You're right. They haven't really gotten the message out. Then one story I'm working on, which I haven't started writing yet, I was talking to people while we were waiting for Biden, talking to people, you know, what are you hearing at home? And it was a mix. Sometimes, some some people were saying, yeah, the folks at home are, are, are queued in, but others were telling me, no, there are, there are Trumpites in my plant whom I don't dare talk to, and so we don't talk politics. You're correct. It hasn't resonated yet. One of the people questioning Bernie Sanders on Monday brought that up. Indeed, Bernie brought it up. How are you going to get the white working class? And one guy said, start publicizing the record and beating the drums, not just say Trump is a um, A scam. Yeah, (laughs) right. Yeah, okay. And and the fact is that Trump's base is not in the working class. Trump's base is in kind of a middle class small mm. business type of uh, base, not union members in particular, but there are a number who did vote for him. So, well, that's all we have time for. We've been talking to Mark Grunberg in Washington, D.C. with Washington Window on Workers. Thanks much, Mark. And now it's time for the Heartland Labor Forum calendar. You can find a calendar on our Facebook page, www.facebook.com slash heartlandlaborforum. Missouri legislators returned to Jeff City this month and filed more than two dozen bills to gut Missouri's long-standing citizen initiative process. You're invited to the Missouri Jobs with Justice Lobby Day. Tell legislators what you think of that and other bills aimed at cutting unemployment benefits and the rights of LGBTQ kids. This will be held Tuesday, January 30th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. in Jefferson City in the Capitol Building. The Kansas Latino Legislative Action Conference will be held that same day, January 30th, from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the state capitol in Topeka. The Heartland Alliance for Progress is hosting an in-person and Zoom meeting where volunteers will learn what to do to gather signatures to get overturning uh, 
Missouri's abortion bans on the ballot. That's Tuesday, February 20th at 530. And labor notes, April 19 to 21, 2024, in Chicago at the uh, hotel near the O'Hare Airport. They're accepting reservations. You get a discount if you are uh, registering before March 1st. I think it's 140 bucks if you do it before March 1st. That's our show for tonight. Thanks, as always, to our engineer, Stephen Hill. Next week, we'll delve into the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, including the views of U.S. labor. The Heartland Labor Forum is a member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network of over 200 radio shows and podcasts from around the U.S. and the world. Find them at laborradiopodcastnetwork.org. Stay tuned for the Thursday night special. Tonight, it's Economics for the People with Taki. Good night. listening to the Heartland Labor Forum, a show by and about workers, our workplaces, and our labor movement. We are radio that talks back to the boss. And you can talk back to us, too. Send us your feedback, your workplace stories, news, and ideas for shows to Heartland Labor Forum, KKFI, at gmail.com. Our website, where we archive shows and post our upcoming ones, is heartlandlaborforum.org. The views expressed on this show are ours and not necessarily those of KKFI or any of the unions involved. Tune in every Thursday evening at 6 or to our rebroadcast Friday mornings at 5 right here, 90.1 FM. No one can deny